Welcome to the Synapse Nips podcast, where we explore the power of health and healing. On this podcast, we will be talking with health experts, professionals, and leaders about hot topics in the world of health. Whether it's tools to help you flourish, successful stories to inspire, or tips to optimize your health, Synapse Nips is here to help you take the first steps towards living your best life. Hey everybody, welcome to Synapse Snips. Today is a special episode. It's our first podcast without Troy. So we have a stand-in today. Yeah! All right. So we, <laughs> so we got Dr. Tanay today. Tanay, hey, how's it going? Great. I'm doing super. Yeah, what do you want to talk about today? Hmm, should I really tell you what I think? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I want to talk about pain and where your problem is. It's not always what you think. So yeah. just because you have pain somewhere, it might not be where the problem is. Yeah. We got started uh, talking about this point because we were kind of talking about deconditioning. And I think that's still an important term for us to figure out. So if we're talking about pain, if we're talking about pain and where the problem is for pain, let's. what I want you to tell me first is when you see a person coming in to your office, Yes. And they've got a physical pain. Yep. What's the first kind of couple things that you think of and ask them about? Well, I try to think if there was something that they did that started the pain. Mm -hmm. I try to think of um, maybe what their work life is, if they're sitting a lot, what their exercise habits are. Um, And then two, one of the first things I look at on physical exam is going to be muscles. So muscles move bones. That's their job. And a lot of people forget that. They kind of think that as a chiropractor, it's our job to move bones, which it is, but ultimately the muscles are controlling that. So if their muscles are not firing correctly and the nervous system is not communicating to those muscles, then we need to start there. That should be our step one. And then as we work on those muscles, things get better. Yeah. So a- answer this for me. What What's your definition of pain? What is pain exactly? Ooh, pain. <laughs> Um, something that hurts, um, it's a, it's a signal from the nervous system saying, Hey, something's not quite right. Yeah. That's how I think of it too. Pain is not, well, this is what you said. Pain is not always where the problem is. Pain is your brain's perception of a problem. Correct. Right. So you don't feel the pain in your elbow. If your elbow hurts, it's really your brain up in your head signaling, Oh, there's something wrong in that area. But the problem could be anywhere from that spot, pretty much all the way up into the brain too. It's not always that local, you know, that location. Yeah. So when, when a person comes in with pain, how often do you see that it's an issue with their physical activity level versus some other source of pain? Do you see a difference there? I would say there's usually a combination of both. There's some other source of pain, maybe from subluxation or imbalance, but then there's also the physical inactivity component to where a lot of people just aren't moving um, like they should. And that's where you see a lot of breakdown in the body. So I'd say it's usually a a 50-50 split. And that's where it's really important to look at both. We don't want to just correct a subluxation and then not have you move correctly after to reinforce that. So um, I would say it's usually pretty split. Yeah, I see that too. I have patients where it's difficult to even motivate them to move. Sometimes it's just difficult to get them to move because of the pain they're in already. It's kind of a, people are stuck between a rock and a hard place a little bit with that. But typically when a person can start moving, even if it's just a little bit, right, then that that can make a big difference. Right. So 
with, and I mentioned deconditioning. I think I want to come back to that just because I mentioned it before. What is deconditioning? It's kind of a lot of what we talked about. So answer that for me. And then I want to know how would I know, or how would the listener know if they're deconditioned? Well, deconditioned would be if we're not moving, we're dying, right? So life is motion. And so that's probably the biggest indicator. If you're not in an active um, movement process, or if you're not pursuing that, your body is regressing in some shape or form, usually. But in terms of, um, what was the question again? Well, the deconditioning (laughs) part. So how, well, let's get to this. I think, I think you're right in saying, um, being deconditioned means that your body is not accustomed to movement, right? Yeah. It's not used to movement. It's not able to do movement appropriately. But a lot of people don't sit around and notice that they're deconditioned. Right. So how would I know if I'm deconditioned? Well, a lot of it could be pain. That'd be one symptom of being deconditioned. Um, I don't know if people have ever walked past one of those windows where you're walking outside and you're feeling good about life and confidence. And all of a sudden you look to the side and you see that your head is shifted way forward and you're leaning over and you look kind of funny. Like, why am I leaning way far over? Well, that'd be a sign that maybe you're deconditioned. Um, cause as we don't work our muscles, our body naturally shifts forward. Um, if we get shortness of breath, that could be another marker of that. Um, sometimes too, just feeling weakness and shakiness with muscles, right? We just feel, we don't feel as strong as what we used to be, or we feel like we can't do the same things that we used to be able to do. Those would be definitely signs of being deconditioned. Yeah. You said something that I, when we were prepping for this, that I liked, you talked about sitting and sitting. I've heard this said sitting is the new smoking. Yes. (laughs) So sitting is, can be just as bad for your health as smoking and doing something that's more obviously problematic. What was your cutoff for sitting? If you sit more than how long per day, is that a problem? I mean, I I don't have the perfect answer, but I'd say at least four hours, right? If you're sitting more than four hours a day, um, you're probably deconditioned because we were not made to sit. Mm -hmm. And most people, unfortunately, with their jobs and things like that, they do have to sit. But even too, if you have a very manual um, or labor intensive job, you still have to think about this because even as a chiropractor, we're often leaning forward, working on our patients, we're bending forward, we're, we're doing these things that are in front of us. And so anytime you're working in front of you, you're going to be um, moving those muscles and strengthening the muscles on the front. And then the ones on the back side of your body are usually weakening. And that's where you get a lot of imbalance that just kind of shifts over time. So, um, yeah, definitely sitting for a long period of time or working in front of you a lot or having a very manual or labor-intensive job can definitely lead to more deconditioning. Yeah, muscle balance, I think, is tough because I think back even to um, when I was in high school and college and worked out more for sports, you'd have the gym rats in there that they really like to overemphasize certain exercises at right. the expense of others. I think that's right. pretty common, even even for somebody then who knows they need to work out, much less for somebody who doesn't. Yeah. It's and that's really exacerbating that that posture. I talk to my patients about upper and lower cross syndrome stuff. I don't yep. know if you ever get into that. Yeah. But it's so common to see tightness through the chest, weakness through the neck, that hunched over yep. kind of bit that you see. And just getting ever so slight a bit of exercise, and it doesn't even need to be a lot, right? At-home stuff can make such a big difference. So when you have a person that comes in that's in pain and it's difficult to do that, do you start them, you know, go to the gym, you know, pump some iron? What's what's your recommendation usually? Well, it's really going to be dependent upon the patient, and that's where it gets a little, you know, a little gray zone because you have to start somewhere. And our biggest thing, too, or my biggest thing is that 
I don't want anyone to feel overwhelmed like they can't they can't start. And so even just with one day a week, if you're not doing anything, that would be a wonderful start. Um, and that's going to look different for everyone. But even too, if you if you have so much pain where you can't make it to the gym or you don't have a gym membership or it's hard to do things, um, even an isometric contraction would be something to start. So if you're just sitting in your chair right now, you're driving in your car, wherever you're at, if you just think about, you know, squeezing certain muscles, that'll contract them. And that can itself can be a way to start to strengthen that. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of ways to start. And then, you know, less is more sometimes. We think we need to go to the gym six days a week and pump out a bunch of iron and, you know, have these big muscles, which muscles are good, but we also want to um, give our body proper recovery and, um, you know, rest too, so we can actually be optimal health. Yeah. So when we have patients coming in, we, we do some assessments for yes. this and everybody gets some of these assessments. Some other assessments are more specific based on the person coming in. The ones that we do all the time, we do a body composition test, a bioelectric impedance analysis. If you've been here in the office, it's when we stick the electrodes on your hand and foot. You don't feel anything, so if you haven't been in here, it's not like we're torturing people. <laughs> uh, but that body composition test gives us some valuable data about muscle mass, and you mentioned muscle mass. Yep. I've heard it said, I actually just heard this the other day, no 90-year-old ever wished they had more, uh, less muscle mass. Right. right? It's If you're, if you're going to live longer, muscle mass is actually a really important thing, yep. so that's why we measure that for everybody. What are a few other things that if a person is needing assessment in this way, what do you check? So we do something called a movement pattern analysis here at the clinic. And um, really with that, it's, it's kind of a fancy name, but basically we just want to watch how you move. And everybody's going to be at a different starting point. So we might watch how you walk. We might look at how your feet function. We might watch how you squat. We're going to be looking at different things just to see functional movements because a lot of people don't really think about these things. They maybe just sit down in a chair, but really there's ways to sit down that engage certain muscles to where it would help um, reduce your pain if you have pain with sitting or getting up from a chair. Um, so just simple things like that. And then two, you know, just looking at, um, you know, your feet, that's going to be a huge part of what we want to do because a lot of people, they overlook their feet. They don't think about the shoes that they're wearing. So many shoes today are designed to where they compress your feet, they compress your toes. And with that, I mean, our feet give so much feedback to our brain and I don't, I wouldn't recommend to try this at home, but if you want to, maybe go ahead and try to tie a rope around your foot or something, right? And just kind of compress it and, and make it really tight and uncomfortable and then try to walk. And then you'll see how that's going to change your whole body composition, how you hold yourself, how you feel pain and how you experience um, just your balance in general. And so that's where, you know, just looking at the feet is going to be really important. And um, a lot of people just don't consider that for their overall wellness. But with the movement pattern analysis, that's going to be something that we're going to dive into and look at more thoroughly and then just give you some simple exercises. What can you do? Um, just a few simple things at home where you don't have to go to the gym for an hour to start building strength. You can just build functional movements and um, balance and coordination and just start getting these muscles activated is going to be the most important thing. And then once you get good at that and you start building some strength and you feel like, oh, this is easy. This is great. No problem. Then we would add on another layer of complexity and say, okay, well, now we're going to add in some balance factors along with strength and then continue to build that strength uh, program for you. And so that's usually our starting point, a great foundation. Um, and then from there, we can build into other strength and um, conditioning. Yeah, a couple of thoughts on that. Back to the feet thing. I always think about if I have a little rock in my shoe, 
how annoying that can be if I'm walking around just You're a little right. rock. Yep. And I think, I think women, um, are more susceptible to this because the, and I'm not a woman, so this is going to sound <laughs> weird. The cuteness of shoes, I think, exactly. is, yep. is more important than the function of the shoes. Correct. In a lot of situations. And, and not, not to say that cute shoes are bad. Again, I, I'm not a connoisseur of cute shoes by any means. Um, <laughs> we but, know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I think I wear these same shoes every Thursday. <laughs> but I think point being, I've, I've had a lot of people too, like, like you said, if you've worn heels all the time and yep. you've, I mean, bunions kind of happen because of the compression on the feet. I see that way more in women than I see in men. Right. That's not to say that men are exempt. So usually men are the opposite where they just wear junky shoes all the time. And that's a problem too. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and then what you said about, about the MPA and the exercise, I think it's important to stress that any little bit helps this is why we give exercise bands to some of our patients. We want to facilitate some sort of movement at home. So it's not requiring a gym membership. It's not anything fancy. It's not like, oh, I got to start and do an hour of exercise every day or, right. you know, all week. Um, I have, I, I think of a patient that I saw recently where all we tried to do were like rows, right? Mm -hmm. And I think we used like a water bottle. Yeah. Full water bottle. I taught her how to do like a, a bent over row yep. for the muscles in her back because she was having neck pain. Yep. She was very resistant to that because she doesn't <laughs> move very much. But she messaged me a few days later and said, you're right. I already feel a difference. It's already helping my neck pain. Yep. So that little bit made a huge difference for her. Now, as far as other things that we can do to fix it, um, I think, you know, you mentioned feet. Is it just is it just a matter of wearing different shoes? To correct some of these things that you're seeing in the feet? Definitely not. So a lot of people, that's a common misconception that we have to have the right shoes to have healthy feet um, or that we need arch supports to have the right feet or the right um, foot structure. So a lot of that comes down to strengthening the foot. And so that's something that I really actually enjoy doing with people is, um, first of all, even if you're listening to this, you can, if you're not driving, if you're at home sitting somewhere or doing something, just try to spread your toes apart. And you, a lot of people can't do that without maybe flexing their toe or bending their toe way up. They just should be able to spread your toes apart and have that control. If you think about your fingers, I can do it right now on the table. I can spread my fingers apart and I have that control. But when it comes to our feet, people, they feel a little lost, like there's a disconnect. And so a lot of it's going to be building up the nervous system to connect to the foot and then giving those specific exercises to build up the foot strength. Um, there's a muscle in the lower leg called the posterior tibialis, and it connects to about nine different bones in the foot. And when that becomes weakened, it will collapse those bones in the foot, and then you have other issues. Um, when that arch collapses, then that caves in the knee, which caves in the hip, and then it kind of throws off the whole the whole chain. So um, just starting with some simple strengthening exercises in the foot is going to be really important. Shoes are helpful. Um in certain circumstances. And then, you know, I, I'm more of a fan of being barefoot though. And a lot of people are like barefoot, I couldn't even handle that. I can't even walk, you know, without shoes, but that's a sign too of a very deconditioned foot. And we want to build that strength and um, that tolerance of the foot. So then you can do more and not have to worry about wearing proper shoes in order to not have pain. I try to get my, my kids to run around barefoot in the summer, you know, we're yeah. in Minnesota, so that doesn't last for very long, but being out in the grass and, and it's the same way too, if you're at a beach, right. Yeah. And you're in the sand and you're, yep. that's great exercise for your feet. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of good benches right. this time of year, but, um, go on a vacation and exercise your feet. 
Sounds nice, doesn't it? <laughs> right. And and think how much that helps too with mental health, right? Just even yeah. feeling the ground. If you go out in the grass and you feel the sand or mm. or grass on your feet, dirt, right? We need to get our feet in the dirt and get that feedback and just that grounding too for yeah. our mental health. Well, I think that's that's an important segue too, because we did want to talk a little bit about the brain and its impacts too on pain a little bit again. Both from a pain perspective and a mental health perspective, I know there is research that shows that exercise and movement are just as effective, just as effective for depression mm-hmm. as some medications are. Yep. Right, and so just yep. getting moving can be just as really you're activating the brain, right? You want to activate your brain. You want to fire those muscles in your legs and in your feet to get that that feedback. Um, that. From a brain perspective, then, what are the other things that you look for? So we talked about the feet a little bit, but if you're looking more at a person's nervous system, are there things both like from an inflammation perspective, from other types of movements that you can do that are indirectly helpful? Um, indirectly helpful. Yeah. So, so the way I think about it is inflammation, right? So if yeah. I've got a junky diet, I'm going to be more likely to be in pain, right? Because right. my brain's unhappy. Yeah. Are there other things that you see that are similar to that? Um, well, not sleeping. Yeah. Um, that's going to be a big one. And then a lot of times too, people don't realize how not moving affects their sleep. Mm. We usually need to expend energy throughout the day. And if we're not expending energy, well, that maybe stays in our system too, to where we um, don't sleep as well. So I would say sleep would be a big one or not sleeping, um, and exercise and My kids are good examples of that. You know, <laughs> they go a little stir crazy. Well, the days that they get to run around more, I mean, it's obvious with a kid, right? You yeah. let them run around, you burn that energy off, they're going to sleep better. Right. We're, we're the same way. Yeah. And so we sit around all day, just like you said, we're deconditioned, and then we actually don't go and use our bodies to get to the point of getting our bodies ready to sleep. Right. And then we're up all night and we're wondering why, yeah, and it's like, well, we, we think go. we <laughs> yeah. have something else going on, but really we just maybe need to move a little bit more too, yeah. burn a little more energy. We have another test here that we do in the clinic that... It's called, it's a grip strength test. Mm-hmm. And it's something that's basically just a mirror that you, you grab with your hand and you squeeze as hard as you can and it tells you how much force you're putting into it. There's some really interesting research correlating grip strength with digestive inflammation. Mm. And the more inflammation you have in your gut, the weaker your grip strength is. And I always think of that. And I tell people that it doesn't matter where you've got inflammation. It could be digestive because that's a big source of it it could be some nutrient deficiency it could be an infection it could be a lot of different things all of those secondary impacts are going to affect muscle output and energy right and then just like you said if we have lower energy here we spiral into this situation of fatigue and pain and low energy which a lot of people unfortunately end up with yeah and so the grip strength uh, piece is a really quick and easy way to assess that. I do that on some people just as a way of tracking. Mm-hmm. Not even if, and it's sometimes not even if we're trying to track strength, we're really just trying to track inflammation Wellness. through that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so we talked through some of this. How about from a chiropractic adjustment perspective? Are those helpful in this situation? Yeah, definitely. I mean, sometimes we need a little external uh, reinforcement or movement to help things want to move, but. The biggest thing is that, um, you know, if you have an adjustment, we're putting basically things where we want them to be, but then those muscles are what's going to stabilize and reinforce that and keep the nervous system in balance as well. So um, definitely adjustments oftentimes are needed, but it shouldn't be something that you have to do three times a week for the rest of your life. And so if that's the case, you know, we maybe want to reevaluate and say, well, what muscles are not working or stabilizing these joints? Um, what ligaments maybe are dysfunctional? I would say... 
Oftentimes with low back pain, for example, there's a, a ligament in the low back called the sacroiliac joint. And when that ligament becomes unstable, uh, the surrounding muscles may be tightened or become dysfunctional. And then you have this ongoing pain to where an adjustment isn't going to fix it. You have to work on the ligament and the muscle. And so where would you um, feel that kind of pain? You can feel it really anywhere. It could be across your whole low back. It can, a lot of times it'll mimic sciatic pain. So if you have sciatica where you feel a sciatic pain, um, it could be more of a ligament issue. And so that's where it's good to um, always take a look at that. And um, it can radiate even upward into your thoracic spine region too. So that's where it's uh, pretty systemic and often an issue that I see. And with that, one test that I do in here in the office with my patients is I test their glute max muscle, gluteus maximus one of the strongest muscles in our body. And so if that one is weak, imagine how that's affecting everything else. And that's my indicator to know that we need to work on maybe the stability and strength of that ligament in the mm -hmm. low back. And then we work on rehabbing that. Interesting. Um, a, a point that you made that I think is important that I make to my patients too. If, it, if you feel like you need an adjustment even more than every month, that often means that there's another thing in your body, some inflammation process or a lack of exercise or something mm -hmm. that's causing that. Nobody should need outside of some trauma or if you're sometimes people who are working out a lot do need some tune-ups depending on what, what they're doing. But well, I tell people exactly that. We, if I want to get you to the point where I don't need to see you very often. Right. And we see that a lot when we make progress with people. Yeah. Now there are some people where they're compromised to the point where they do benefit from more adjustments. Yep. But the goal is always to need us as you know, as little as possible. Right. Yeah. So with the glutes, actually, that makes me think of a question. What types of exercises, if you had to pick a few specific ones, we talked about the feet already. Are there a few things that you think people should know how to do that are really important types of exercises? Yeah. I think even just doing a, a squat, standard squat is going to be really important. And often when I have people show me their squat, they um, have their knees very narrow and their, their legs, their hips very narrow, which also loads the knee quite a bit. So then that creates more pain. So a lot of people are doing it incorrectly. And so that's just a simple movement to as where we can look at a squat and strengthen all those muscles. There's so many muscles involved in it. That's going to help build a really uh, strong posterior chain, kind of more muscles on the backside of the body and a stronger core, which is going to make you feel better in many other ways. Yeah, for sure. This Thinking about a squat, people think, well, you know, I don't squat down very much if you think about doing an actual squat. But the the day-to-day -day ramifications of that are a lot. Getting up, up and down out of a chair, yeah. picking up a kid or a grandkid, right? right? You know, yep. if, you, if you garden, if you do things like that, yep. all of those those muscles that you mentioned in the backside of, you know, the, your, your backside, your back, your legs, your hamstrings, your back, yep. those being weak, if they are, it's... It's not so much that, hey, we want you to be able to squat. We want to protect you from injury. Right. That, that's a big part of it. Yes. Yeah. We've well, heard of those people where they bend over, they pick up something off the floor, and they say their back went out. Mm -hmm. Well, usually that's the ligament in the low, low back coming from weak glutes. And then it's like, well, it's not your back necessarily going out. It's more of a lack of stability and strength in, in the surrounding area. And it is always kind of those little bitty things like, oh, I picked up a, I was just talking to somebody, who was it? Oh, it was a box. It was an empty box, an yeah. empty cardboard box, yep. you know, those weigh about a pound. <laughs> and this isn't an out of shape person necessarily, but, but imbalanced. And so reached over, picked that up and, oh, I you know, tweaked right. their back. And it usually is those little kind of insignificant things. things that all of a sudden they'll tweak you if you're imbalanced. Yep. So when people come in with that, I always see the same things, kind of yep. like you mentioned, the glute instability, 
the hip flexor weakness, yep. and then instability in the low back. Usually those are fairly fixable if somebody's, you know, tweaked acutely. Yep, definitely. But like you said, what do we, what do we do other than, you know, the squatting is there, are there any other things that you do to stabilize somebody who does have a tendency to throw their back out? Well, squatting would be one, um, really just moving, right? If we stop moving, that's going to be a big part. But one of my mentors, um, Dr. Rakowski, he would always say that in the absence of trauma, I wouldn't say bending over and picking something up as trauma. So that would be classified in this category. In the absence of trauma, bodies break down on the inside before they break down on the outside. And so that goes back to Dr. Josh's point of if there's an inflammatory response, if there's something else going on, we don't think of our muscles as living tissue, but they are. And so we just think of them as muscles, but they are taking what we consume and then converting that and using that energy um, to where we need that. And so just keeping our body as healthy as it can be in many areas is going to be the biggest thing because uh, we need healthy tissue, we need healthy cells, and then we need healthy uh, movement patterns and things like that are going to help us stay strong and have good wellness and less pain. I wanted to t touch on one more thing, and it's flexibility. Mm -hmm. We didn't talk about this necessarily when prepping, but that's a big thing that I see as people age. They totally lose their yeah, flexibility. Yeah, that's a big one. Right? Yep. Do you assess that at all? And if so, how do you go about fixing that issue? Yeah, so that's a great question because usually people say, oh, I'm really inflexible. I, my hamstrings are tight or I can't even touch my toes, which... Um, you know, you can definitely sense that on a lot of patients, but usually when there's a tight muscle, there's a weak muscle. And so that's kind of my gauge as to where if something's really, really tight and it's always tight, it indicates that there's some degree of weakness there. And so even though you might have really tight hamstrings, one of the exercises I might give you is going to be to start to strengthen those uh, hamstrings. And there's many ways to do it. Um, but that'd be a step one. And then ultimately too, I mean, I think there is some benefit to stretching and, and having that type of, um, you know, therapy in, in your daily lives with exercise and all that. So we do want to do some stretching as well. But first we want to have mobility. Um, well, first we want stability and then we want mobility mm -hmm. and then flexibility too is going to be kind of the last piece of that. Yeah, that's good. So to wrap this up, I think what I'm hearing is it's not a one size fits all situation. Correct. You see a hundred people, hundred patients, they're all going to have a different yep. thing that they need. But I think it does... Uh, come down to a few pieces, right? We talked about digestion and inflammation, the internal issues. Yeah. And you just said a, c a couple interesting things: the stability. I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher it. The stability, the mobility, mobility, and the flexibility. Yep. I think that's great. And I think for a person at home, if you don't know where to start, that's why we're here, right? Because yep. it's not even so much, hey, I'm gonna go to the gym. Because if you have that inflammation going on that you're not aware of, well, you're not going to get very far. You're going to be much more prone to injury. Yep. So coming in and doing these assessments that we talked about, I think is a great way if you're listening to this and you say, well, I, I know that I'm deconditioned. I know that I'm inflexible. I've got pain. Where do I start? That's why people like Dr. Tanay exist. So <laughs> come in and see Dr. Tanay. She's great at this, as you can tell. Any final thoughts or words that you'd like to say before we wrap it up? Um, just to start, you know, no one ever starts and they regret it. Anytime people start to move and they do a little bit, they say, oh yeah, this actually feels good and I feel better. And so I think we get in our own head a lot of times to think that we have to master it. It has to be perfect. We have to have a perfect exercise routine. Um, I think we fill our minds with the thoughts that we can't do it because of pain, but that's where having support and having someone to kind of show you where your areas 
um, of weakness that you need to focus on first and get that stability and um, kind of walk you through it is really important. So I would say just start. Don't don't keep putting it off because the longer you put it off, the worse it's going to get. Mm-hmm. And you might be surprised by how little you have to do for it to go a long ways. Yeah. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks for coming in and uh, being Dr. Troy for the day. Yes. Say so I have a little less facial hair than him, but... Uh, That's a good thing. Yeah, exactly. And for your listeners out there, thanks for listening again. Check out our website. You know, we've got all of these podcasts up right now. Same with Dr. Troy's radio appearances. A couple of our videos are on the website now. Uh, thanks for all the support and feedback. A lot of you have messaged us and contacted us about the podcast, and we do appreciate that. So take care until next time. Thank you for listening to the Synapse Nips podcast. If you like what you heard, subscribe to the podcast and share the podcast. To learn more, check out our website at www.officialsynapse.com. Until next time, this has been Synapse Nips podcast. We'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only and should under no circumstances be considered medical advice or a substitute for medical care. Any information given in this podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease and is at the user's own risk. Please first consult a licensed healthcare professional.